What's up, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Fear Frequency. And we actually made it two weeks. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, George Frizzard. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Great. After that incredible, you know, turmoil we just went through trying to get <laughs> just... our mics and stuff set up. It's We figured it out, though. Yeah, now our technical difficulty is always the best way to start a podcast, right? Yeah, you know, it's only been about 45 minutes of that, so, but we got it all figured out, so hopefully it'll go a lot quicker next time. Yeah. So it's, it's been a full week since our last episode, and I thought it might get a little weird with how much news we'd be able to pull in, but man, a lot of stuff happened in the past week. Yeah, it's been a big uh, big month for horror in general, so it's we're lucky. Yeah, you'd think like it's Halloween or something, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, like the month of horror or something, who would have thought? So we have a really big jam-packed show for you this week and so we're going to start it out in segment one with uh, a couple news stories we picked the three or four biggest of the week that we could find and there's some actually some really cool stuff and then we're going to round that out by telling you what's coming out this week because there's about a thousand things coming out this week in terms of games and movies and tv shows i guess And then we're going to move on to segment two, where we have a couple movies to talk about that are brand new. And then segment three is a nice little why you should watch this TV show uh, wrap up that we're going to have. So it's a pretty good show. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. Cool. So uh, this one we're going to jump right into. And this is more you than me because you're the new Stephen King uh, expert (laughs) here. But a new trailer drop for Hulu's adaptation of Castle Rock. I guess it's an adaptation, but it's basically pulling in a ton of Stephen King characters and books, and J.J. Abrams is executive producer on it. So that looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I didn't watch 11-22-63, but I know that that got a lot of praise, and that was also a J.J. Abrams project, Stephen King also. So I think this is uh, it has a lot of promise to be good. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the new trailer. I didn't really see a lot. I had to look up a list online. The one thing I did notice is the Shawshank Prison. Yeah. And... Uh, Bill Skarsgård is in the trailer. Yes, he is in the show. So, do you think he's playing Bob Gray or, like, a totally original character? It'd be really weird casting to pull in the guy that just played It into a Stephen King show and then make him not in some way related to the Pennywise character, in my opinion. Right, and we all know he's in the show, and you'd think if he wasn't Pennywise, they would come right out and say it right away. Right, like... I doubt that it was like Castle Rock was like, we found this great new actor, Bill Skarsgård, and we're going to put him in our show. <laughs> then it was like, oh, coincidentally, he's also Pennywise in the new yeah. movie. Uh, I couldn't see that happening. But, you know, the weird thing about it is like Stephen King owns the rights to some of this stuff. He's been buying it back lately, but he doesn't own the rights to others. So there is licensing stuff involved there, but I don't know. I just think it's a really weird choice to put him in the show but you know like sissy speck speckick sissy speckick or whatever she's in it and she's not playing carrie so he's bringing in actors he's already had and having them play new characters which makes me a little nervous yeah i mean it's not completely out of the question that he plays you know a not pennywise character but it would just be strange after just seeing him in the stephen king adaptation be that character okay so i've got this list here of places in the trailer and if you know what they are you can explain it because (laughs) I, I've read a couple books. I read uh, The Shining and some other you know, short stories. I read The Mist, but I'm not up on my Stephen King like you are. I'm trying. Uh, so I'm trying. The first thing in the trailer is the Shawshank State Prison, which is from Shawshank Redemption, right? Yep. 
Uh, I haven't read the book. I have seen the movie, but... Uh, so I haven't even seen the movie. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, on every list is, like, one of the best movies ever made. It's definitely oh, cool. worth a watch. So I, I would just set aside, like, I think it's, like, at least two and a half, maybe three hours. So just set aside, like, a big-ass chunk of your weekend and watch that. Shoot. Well, okay, that's, like, part of Frank Darabont's, like, Stephen King trilogy. He did that, The Mist, and one other movie. It might have been Stand By Me, but I doubt it. Uh, okay, so the next thing on this list is Little Tall Island, and they have Dolores Claiborne, Home Delivery, and Storm of the Century. Do you know what any of those are? I have not read any of those stories. <laughs> I have no idea what they're referencing in that. I know what Dolores Claiborne is because Chris Duckman just reviewed that movie, but I haven't seen it, but it looked pretty cool. That's the only one I knew from there. So then there's Juniper Hill Asylum, which apparently shows up in everything. Yeah, that's where uh, they keep Henry Bauer as an adult when he's like in the insane asylum. Okay, so then that also shows up in Needful Things, Gerald's Game, The Sundog, The Tommyknockers, Bag of Bones, 112263, and The Dark Half. That shows up a lot. The Dark Half? Uh, no, the Asylum. That oh, shows yeah. up in a lot of shit. Yeah, it seems just like the def- like the de facto place for anyone who's like crazy to go. Yeah, I mean, I remember it from 112263 for sure, but I don't remember it coming up in Gerald's game. Maybe that's where the Moonlight Man gets sent? That's what I'm thinking, that that's probably where he's from, but... Because uh, I don't know where else that would come into play in that. So yeah, that's probably... I wonder, that Moonlight Man is really freaky looking. He is quite the creepy guy. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about Gerald's game on another episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts on that one. So uh, <laughs> the next thing on here is the Marston House from Salem's Lot, which you just finished. So Yes, just well, finished that book. Explain this one to me. Uh, the Marston House is, like, essentially the, like, haunted house on the block. It's, like, where... It's, like, essentially the house on Niebold Street in It, where it's, like, where the creepy villain lives. That's like okay. the Marston house, but for Salem's Lot. Okay, so does Salem's Lot take place in Maine? Yes, it takes place in Maine. God, there's this... So I watched the Dark Tower movie, and there's a house that I thought was the Niebold house, but it's in New York. Like, the movie takes place in New York City. Mm-hmm. It, it might have been this one, but I don't know, like, what house that was, because it, it fits the bill for either of them. There's, like, a house guardian, though, I guess. Okay. I don't know. That It's probably not either of these, because it's in New York. But that movie sucks so bad that I could see it just liberally <laughs> changing things around. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next thing is the Barons from It, which I remember. Yeah, we both That's know in the that. Town of Derry. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Which, you know, yeah. kind of lends credence to our theory that Bill Skarsgård is going to be playing Bob Gray. Like, he won't be playing Pennywise. No, I, I don't think we'll see Pennywise at all in the miniseries, but we'll probably see him do, like, a few, like, mischievous things or, like, corrupting people to do something like more evil than they would normally do just because that's kind of like the role that he plays in the book yeah so when bob gray shows up in the book does he like do bad things or does he like is he is there a segment of pennywise's i guess career where he goes around doing bad things as bob gray and then he moves on to pennywise i know that bob gray is pennywise the clown but is there like segments where he's only bob gray and segments where he's only pennywise no there, as far as I remember, it's only that's just like his not clown name. So like when he's Pennywise back in like when he shows up at you know in the town like originally, 
mm-hmm. that's just like his not clown name. So okay. he's always like the same character. And I think, like I said, basically the role he's going to play is like since like the whole creation of it and like what he does to the town is just corrupt it and kind of make everyone like more evil. I think that's just going <laughs> to be he's just going to have like an aura around him that just makes people like a do bad aura. things. Yeah, a dark aura. Dude, if they so if he is Bob Gray, I feel like that's a really easy way to, you know, put him in this series and connect it to the It movie without showing anything from the It movie, having any other characters, you know, because it's going to be in a different time period, right? right? Presumably right before the sequel to the It movie, because that's going to be in present day. So I feel like that makes me feel like it is going to be him. It would be, it, like you said, it would be a smart way to kind of tie it into the hugely successful movie that just came out. And I think yeah. that they want people to associate this show with the movie as much as possible. That little movie. That little tiny. <laughs> the tiny movie. That tiny $500 million plus <laughs> moneymaker. I think it's still number one at the box office, that tiny It movie. <laughs> so we're going back here. We got two more. So Silver Creek from Misery. I haven't read Misery. I also haven't read Misery. I've seen the movie when I was, like, very small, and it fucked me up, but I don't know what that is. And then Derry, Maine, obviously, that's, like, it's in a lot of Stephen King books. Right, yeah. I think, you know, that's just a great, like, common ground for, essentially, since, like, all of his buildings and, like, everything he builds is around that city, to just make that, like, the main, like, pinpoint in the middle of the map so all these events can happen around it is obviously the best choice for the main setting. Yeah, and, like, Castle Rock is also something that is made up in the Stephen King universe. But I guess they're just using it as the overarching, like, circle that surrounds every place in this. Like, they're obviously moving things closer to each other. Right, yeah. I don't know. I, so, are you excited for this? I I am excited for it. I'd like to be more... Um like familiar with a lot of the stories that Mm -hmm. i'm that i have no idea of what they're about but i do think it's going to be at least like really cool in the sense that we won't see many times where an author can connect all of his stories like this and it's kind of an experiment in a way to see if you can have all these shared universes come together and have it work right and be cool yeah so I watched eleven twenty two sixty three and I've read the book and I really like the show. The changes they made made sense. They were like things that I would have probably changed. And that show had a pretty solid budget. It did look kind of cinematic for most of it. There were a few like iffy parts. There's an apocalyptic part towards the end that kind of looked a little shitty. But other than that, everything looked pretty good. And that was another Hulu show. So uh, with J.J. Abrams involved, you'd think that this this would get more, if not the same money, that, you know, 112263 got. And they're bringing an all-star cast here. Like, uh, Jane Levy from Don't Breathe and the remake of Evil Dead is also in it. They're pulling in a lot of different people instead of just Stephen King actors, which makes me think it could be pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty star-studded cast. Obviously, it's pulling in a lot of properties that are Stephen King, you know, novels, so... I think that if it's done right, if there's, you know, a strong enough connection between all the stories that'll make it interesting, I think this show could be probably one of the best shows of the year. Yeah, and then also, I can't believe you didn't notice your boy Stick was in it. I don't know the actor who plays Oh him, yeah, but my boy, the Stick he was from Daredevil. center in that trailer. Oh yeah, I was excited as soon as I saw him. I don't care who he's playing. If he's, 
if he's playing Father Callahan, I'm going to be so stoked. I'm going to be jumping out of my seats if he's playing Father Callahan. <laughs> that character, so I read the Dark Tower books, and that guy's from Salem's Lot, right? Yes. So after he dies, he ends up in uh, the Dark Tower books and, like, joins Roland and all of them. For well, a he minute. doesn't die. He doesn't die in the book. Oh, well, he must die in a different Stephen King book. <laughs> he gets he ends like, up in like the weird death universe in the dark tower books and he's like on their team basically in salem's lot not to spoil anything he <laughs> that book's like a hundred years old <laughs> he is a man of faith and he comes to you know fight the the force in the town i don't want to say what exactly is in salem's lot if none of you have read it but He's a man of faith, and he comes to fight the evil force in the town, and essentially it corrupts him. He, at his, like, finest moment where he's supposed to use his faith to finally vanquish the monster, it just basically says, nope, and then (laughs) corrupts him in a way. And so he tries to go back to his church, and because he's now corrupted, like, to even touch the church, it burns his hands, and he just has to leave the town and never come back. Okay, so in the sequel, I guess, to Salem's Lot, wolves of the kala never heard he, of that he leaves uh salem's lot and goes to live in new york city and he becomes a vagrant and okay. uh he develops a deep fondness for lupe whoever that is and okay, lupe. Falls, falls in love with him and realizes he's gay and then he dies uh there's a lot of hiv themes in this book i guess and then he dies <laughs> and then he wakes up and then he's talked to by walter and he is sent to, you know, kill Roland, but he doesn't. And, yeah, so that's how I know who that character was. But, like, I didn't know he was from something else mm-hmm. until, like, yeah. a year ago. And I was like, my <laughs> mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, he is uh, probably my favorite character in Salem's Lot. And so if he's being played by my boy Stick, I'm going to be very, very excited. It's got to be. Like, who else is that guy going to play? Right, it looks like, it, it looks just like these Wikipedia images. He right, looks just the, like them. The description of Stick is like, or not Stick, Father Callahan. It's like Same thing. he's this this old man with crazy hair who's just like really like kind of washed up. He's an alcoholic. He's had to leave <laughs> multiple churches because of his drinking issue, and he finally yep. lands on Salem's lot because he knows they don't care if he's you know wasted all day, <laughs> and he just kind of hangs out there, and he's. His inner, you know, force is that he wants to fight evil, but he doesn't have anything to fight, so he just drinks all day. That's pretty cool. I like that. He's a great character. Relatable. So So there we go. That's that's our little wrap-up of the Salem's Lot teaser. I know other podcasts like to just play the teaser, but I feel like that's super awkward. So I feel like we did this the right way. And if you disagree or agree, you can let us know by giving us a five-star review on iTunes and then telling us whether or not you agree or disagree with this uh, way we talked about the show. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the second news story, which is more for me, and that is that Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 3 finally has a release date. We've been waiting for this for months after this end of the second season. You know, the second season didn't really get great ratings, and I knew they were filming this because people were going on set visits, but the... You know, you'd think they'd want to show it in October, but I honestly think it's a good thing they're pushing it back to February because that show would have gotten fucking stomped in this heavy release schedule 
that we have this October. But it is coming back. Yeah, I think with like the eight movies coming out this week and it being like coming out right at the beginning of September, I think to release anything in this kind of space of September, October, there's so many other things going on right now that a show that really only has like mediocre viewership wouldn't do great. Yeah, like it's it's not doing bad, but it's going up against American Horror Story ghosted on Fox, which actually did really well. I thought that would be, you know, one episode and canceled, <laughs> even though it does have Craig Robinson and Adam Scott. You know, it just seems like a show that would get canceled immediately. And then uh, The Exorcist Season 2 has about 15 viewers. So, you know, that's going to put a dent in it. But yeah, so that's coming back. The big premise here is that uh, Ash's daughter is a new character. And everyone thought it was going to be Jane Levy. They thought they were going to bring those universes together. But uh, that's that would be really dumb and stupid. So they obviously didn't do that. I don't know who Ariel Carver O'Neill is, but that's who's playing his daughter. Do you know who she is? Uh, I haven't seen her. I don't know of her. But uh, I didn't even know Ash had a daughter. He So he's had crossovers with the Hack Slash comics. But okay. I don't think he's. They've really ever introduced his daughter. The one that you, the like biggest, is that the Evil Dead universe is so bizarre. So like the comics usually are called like Evil Dead Two comics because that's the reboot. You know, it's like a remake of the first one. So they just consider that the only movie. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it tells weird. the story of the first one in it, and then just expands on it. So yeah. there's really no reason to call it like an Evil Dead 1 comic. So when you see like comics or games or anything, it's usually Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness that gets called up. But I don't remember. I've read a lot of the comics. I don't remember his daughter ever coming into play. So it's cool to see more extremely new stuff in this universe, even though it does get hokey at times. The show has a lot of heart. So adding more emotional characters for him since every single one of them dies uh, is pretty good. Yeah, I've only seen the first season. Uh, I picked mm-hmm. it up on Blu-ray after it uh, it all came out at once, and I really enjoyed it. I thought the first season was great. Uh, I I haven't watched the second season at all, but I I really did enjoy the first season. I think that Bruce Campbell is just so, you know, charismatic, and he's made for that role. That every time he plays it, he just really knocks it out of the park. Yeah, man. Um, season two is even better he goes back to elk grove they end up in the cabin again like a perfect recreation of it oh really they go back in time yeah it's pretty fucking awesome i like season two is really good i'll have to watch that all the way through in one binge setting yeah and then there's some rumors that this might be the last season they treated it like it would be the last season in case it didn't get renewed uh episode 10 is apparently a major game changer i've heard it compared to the finale of, uh, what's that show? Six Feet Under. I guess that mm-hmm. emotionally fucks with people. So, yeah, season three of Astros is Evil Dead will be back February 25th on Stars, and we will talk about it when it's out. You bet your ass. Definitely. All right, so the next thing on our news list is they're adding a new map to the critically acclaimed huge smash hit Friday the 13th, The Game. So that was like 50% <laughs> true. It's not critically acclaimed, <laughs> but it is a smash hit. I mean, it's it basically shipped broken, and people have had some issues with it in the past. But they the game does have a lot of heart, and it really does try to play homage, pay homage to you know all the old movies, and it does a good job of recreating the environments. And the new one that they're adding is North Crystal Lake, and the Jarvis House. So I'm fine with that. That's all I think from the final chapter, the fake final chapter. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, I'm fine with that. And then there's that new character. Yes. Mitch Floyd. Mitch Floyd, who is just a rename of the hippie character from part three, Chuck. So, yeah, they always have to dodge the real likeness and names of these people because a lot of them are A, dead, or B, don't really like act anymore or give a shit and they don't answer. So they end up having to just make up characters that are very similar but not the same. To me, that's so strange because if you have the rights to the name of the movie and you have the rights to all the different Jason models, why isn't that a package deal with that? If you have the rights to use the models from the movie and use the environments, how are the characters not part of that? Right, I think it's because Sean Cunningham owns just enough to be able to pass out the license to people. Fucking, it's just a mess. But like this game, it is a mess. <laughs> so I'm excited about free content, obviously. That's yeah. good. But this game is still extremely buggy. I went back and played it a couple weeks ago. And it's honestly not dissimilar to how it launched. Like it works a little bit better. Uh, they have added free content, but... Free, well, free content is good. It's good that they're not charging for this because I'm sure they know by now they're on thin fucking ice with this game. Uh, I'd rather them just take six months, push this stuff back even a year, and fix the game. Yeah, I think it's nice to try to give everyone a little bit of extra, you know, throw them a bone every now and then just to keep them away from criticizing the game because you just keep giving them free content, but... I think it should be a completely functional game before you keep just pushing out more things. Like, shouldn't you have the base solid before you just keep stacking blocks on top of it? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it is. And I th- they're trying to do the same thing that Dead by Daylight did. Dead by Daylight was a finished game. The actual game just kind of sucked. Yeah. So, like, that's fine that they kept adding stuff on top of it. Like, the, a lot of the problems with that game didn't have to do with like it being unfinished or anything it was just that the game's mechanics were bad (laughs) but friday the 13th barely works it took them months to get it working on xbox one which is kind of embarrassing i luckily played it on pc as did i yeah yeah. i I mean i really like the game obviously i streamed it for a long time probably like 10 or 15 hours i put a lot of time into it i just i just want it to work and they made so much money on it they sold three times as many copies as they thought they were going to and it's like i know that they're a small dev team and you can't expect a lot but maybe put that money into hiring more people instead of falling back on the we only have five employees thing every time like you just made a shit ton of money off people hire more and fix the game right you would think that you'd put the money back into the development team and the engine and the bug team and fixing the problems of the game instead of just saying we're understaffed and we can't cr- fix it because it takes too much time. Yeah, but, you know, they just redesigned their website, so at least some steps are being taken. The web manager's <laughs> getting paid. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the, we'll wrap up the news stories now and move on to everything releasing this week oh yeah and i don't know if we'll do this every week but there's just so much coming out on friday the 13th that i feel like we need to highlight it Mm -hmm. so the first thing is brawl in cell block 99 on video on demand have you heard of this movie i have not i've not heard of this movie okay so i'm so excited for you to watch this (laughs) this is uh you know the guy who made bone tomahawk Uh, yeah his new movie oh really i love Bone. yeah and it stars vince vaughn Okay. Who is a retired boxer and also mobster, I think. Mm-hmm. And he beats up a car. 
<laughs> a and car ends up in prison. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, ends up having to like fight his fight for his life in prison. Okay, and I don't think Vince Vaughn has ever looked cooler than he does in this movie. He looks like Max Payne in Max Payne Three. Well, a little known fact: Vince Vaughn is roughly seven and a half feet tall, so I think he can definitely take on anyone with just <laughs> his height and his wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, this movie has been show- making the festival rounds, and people seem to really like it. So I'm excited to watch this uh, this Friday. I'm planning out my weekend, uh, which brings us to the next thing, which is uh, Happy Death Day is releasing in theaters this Thursday. It's supposedly Friday the 13th, but you know movies come out the night before at like 7 p.m., so they may as well change the date. <laughs> I'm gonna go see that on Thursday. I I'm really excited for this movie. I think that it looks really good. I hit. I caught the trailer the first time I saw it as like a a pre like a pre roll ad before a YouTube video. Okay. And at first I thought it was like some kind of joke video, like a joke like anti drug ad or something. And then I f- watched the whole trailer and I was like, oh, it's a movie. This actually looks really creepy and cool. And I started looking into it, and it seems like if it delivers on on how cool the plot sounds, I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, uh, me too. I'm I'm excited for it. It, it is PG thirteen, and I see people complaining about that, but I don't think it really needs to be R. Like it would be great for this kind of slasher movie to have an R rating, but they're obviously going for the horror comedy route, and the story plays a much bigger part in this than it usually does in these, I guess, popcorn mainstream horror movies. Yeah. So I'm fine with the PG thirteen rating. It doesn't really bother me. I think that it's. You know, I wouldn't expect a ton of gore for a movie like this, and I think that's the only thing that would push it into an R rating. Yeah. I mean, this might be a Blumhouse tax movie where, like, this is the one for them, and then it pays for the one for us, you know? Yeah. I think that's definitely possible. But at the end of the day, it's going to be good, probably, I think. Hopefully. (laughs) So that's coming out Thursday night. And then the next thing is, we can just gloss over this quick since we just talked about it. Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th is getting a physical release so if you don't have the game yet, it's more expensive on disc, and uh, the game is very buggy. So, you know, spend your dollars wisely there, especially with so much stuff coming out. Yeah, I would say if you're going to get one game, skip that one. Yeah, at this point, just wait. Wait six more months <laughs> for the, the snail's pace that it's being fixed. Um, the next thing on our list is Found Footage 3D is being released on Shutter. We've been trying to get a screener for this. And uh, they actually just responded to me. They were like, look, it's going to be on Shudder Friday the 13th. Uh, if you have Shudder, you can just watch it there. So we can watch that on Shudder, mm-hmm. which if you don't have Shudder, it's $5 a month. And they've been getting some really good exclusives lately. Uh, so this one is definitely one to watch. It's like a horror comedy uh, satire piece on found footage movies. Yeah, uh, just watch a trailer on YouTube. Uh, you sent me this like last week and mm-hmm. I watched it a, f- a few times. I think it this uh, has the potential to be really cool. I think you and I both kind of like found footage movies more than the average person. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> putting it lightly. Putting it lightly. But I think this actually does look like a, a really cool addition to the genre. Yeah, and then there's this brand new movie, Hell House LLC, coming out. You should go watch that. It's not everything. <laughs> uh, watch that totally on, didn't on come out last forever. Year. Uh, did not come out in 2016, but just watch that anyway on Friday. Yep, and uh, so you can check out Found Footage 3D. If you have the red and blue glasses, they're actually going to start showing it on Shutter in red and blue 3D. That's actually which pretty I wouldn't sweet. recommend. But if you want <laughs> to throw up, go for it. <laughs> it's fun for a gimmick. <laughs> yeah, for like five minutes, and yeah. then you just switch to the regular one. Yeah, until your eyeballs bleed and start falling out of your head. 
Yeah, and then so The Babysitter is coming out on Netflix. This is another horror comedy that I thought was going to be cool, but I've been seeing some takes all day that it is not cool and pretty bad. Mm. Uh, It's another Netflix horror comedy, so maybe put this one at the bottom. Also on Netflix, or not on Netflix, sorry, uh, on Amazon Prime is Lore. Have you heard of this, George? I've heard the name. I don't know anything about it. Okay, so it's a six-episode miniseries from Amazon, and it's uh, basically, it's it's this podcast lore that a guy named Aaron Mankey does. It's about 30 minutes long. He puts it out every week, and he talks about how, like, modern folklore has turned, or, like, where modern folklore comes from. And I got to watch the first three episodes of the show, and they were all pretty good. They talk about, like, being buried alive and a bunch of weird, crazy shit. So I highly recommend this series uh, when it comes out this Friday on Amazon Prime. And then the last thing we have on here is The Evil Within 2 is releasing. That's I'm very excited for. Yeah, uh, me too. You're playing through The Evil Within right now, aren't yes, you? Yes, I'm playing through the first one. I got to about Chapter 6, my first playthrough. I bought the game pretty much when it came out and played it for... Not not very long, I guess, since I was able to match where I was in my original <laughs> playthrough in about three and a half hours. So I didn't make it very far the first time, but I'm at chapter 10 now, and I believe there are 13 or 14 chapters in this one. So I'm, Yeah, four, I'm, 14 is like a cutscene. Okay, so I'm nearing the end of... I'm in like probably the third act of the game right now, and I'm highly, highly anticipating the second one. Yeah, so... I really like this game. It took me a while to beat it. Just cause it is very scary. I, I don't get scared by games a lot, but it freaks me out sometimes. And it is very hard. It's a yes. very challenging game. Until you upgrade your accuracy on guns, you will not make oh, it yeah. very far. And also, if you play the game with headphones, you will shit your pants. Yeah, the sound design is incredible. I actually did get to play The Evil Within 2, and it is a refinement on every level from the first game. Just everything you don't like about the first game is fixed, which I like. And uh, we're a big fan of the game's writer, Trent Haga. George, you showed me his movie, Dead Girl. Dead Girl, man. <laughs> Classic. So if you've seen Dead Girl, you know that this could either be... It's going to be a batshit story, obviously. It's going to be insane. <laughs> but, you know, it could be good. It could be bad. But, you know, we want to go with good. And what I've played is good. All right. Well, I think that rounds out our news segment. Yeah. And if there's anything else coming out that we missed... Put it in a five-star review on iTunes. Go to the iTunes page, leave us five stars, and tell us what we missed. And also put a sentence at the end that says you love the show. And then leave out the first part telling us what we missed. Just say you love the show (laughs) and give us five stars. Okay, so now we're moving on to segment two of the show, which is the movie review segment. And this week... We have two movies. Yes. So I've been waiting for George to see the first one, uh, and it is called Cult of Chucky. It came out last week. Uh, it's on Netflix, but that is not the unrated one, which the unrated one, I guess, has an after the credit scene, and it doesn't matter because this movie is bad. Bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very bad. I did not like this movie at all. Yeah, so I guess, I guess we'll start with the explanation of what's going on here so uh we kind of talked about it last week but in case you didn't listen curse of chucky is the first movie and i guess this trilogy that they want to make and that was a really good movie it brought chucky back to his slasher roots 
put introduced a character called Nika, played by Fiona Duroff, who is Brad Duroff's daughter. Very good movie. This movie puts her in an insane asylum, and she is convinced that she was the actual murderer rather than the doll possessed by Charles Lee Ray. Yeah, I think the Man. setup of this movie is better than the follow-through. I think that yeah, totally. putting her in the insane asylum where you know her resources are limited and we as the audience we know that obviously Chucky was the killer and it wasn't Nika, but to have her kind of have to battle with that internally and meet with all these actually insane people and she's just there for the ride pretty much with very limited resources if Chucky ever does come for her. It it's a good setting and it's a great setup for the sequel to the first one. But, sadly, Chucky sucks in this movie. Yeah, he's barely in it. It's just his voice. He shows up, and he has... This is in the trailer, it's not spoiling anything, but he now in this movie has the ability to control multiple bodies. Like, goddamn. So the goal of the entire fucking series has been for... Charles Lee Ray to put his soul in the body of a living human being. And then now he off camera between movies has figured out how to do it, but is totally content being a doll and puts himself into multiple dolls. Yeah. So it's the most overpowered ability for this doll to ever have and just makes him an unbeatable being and to give it such a bad explanation as to, Oh, I just did this. I just did it. And now I know how to do it. And it's like, it is, it's so unsatisfying to give him such an incredible power that can be abused so easily and kind of wrecks the entire flow of the movie and then to just explain it away with probably the worst explanation I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, it's the spell originally in every other Chucky movie, they, Don Mancini kept it very consistent with that it takes like 15 minutes to conjure, but in this one he throws down like five gibberish nonsense words and he's in the body. And- There's no time. In Child's Play 1 and 2, it takes the time for a storm to come above his head and a bolt of lightning to crash down. In this one, he says it in like, uh, whatever, now I'm in two dolls. And the actual Insane Asylum itself you'd think would be a really cool setting, but this movie takes place in winter, and the Insane Asylum is very poorly made. It shows its budget constantly. It's just full of Ikea furniture and just crap like it's just a crappy looking building and then you're looking for any color in this movie that's not just stark white and you look outside and it's winter and i know they wanted blood to like show up better but all the blood in this movie is cgi and a lot of the kills are off camera and then you see the aftermath and there's just a lot of crappy looking gore in this movie it's just everything that curse did right this movie does wrong yeah you'd think that this movie since the last one was so horror focused that this one would try to keep the creepy tone, but it goes full like C to Chucky where it just tries to be funny the whole movie. And I think that's probably why they made such a dumb explanation just because they thought it'd be funny for some people, but it really does wreck the flow of the movie and it just really takes it down to a, a bad, bad movie. Yeah, and then Jennifer Tilly's back, obviously, because I had to look up the timeline of these movies. And so I guess the Tiffany doll in Seed or Bride, I forget, transfers her soul into Jennifer Tilly's body. So Tiffany is a character played by Jennifer Tilly, and then she transfers her soul into Jennifer Tilly, the real actress's body, which is confusing. And 
I think they did it right in the movies. I remember thinking it was funny, but she's back and she's terrible. Just god awful. Her uh her Oh my what, god. Yeah, you're going to say the same thing as me. Her line delivery is horrible. It is the worst part of the entire movie. She is the worst actress in the whole movie, and I know she can be good cuz she's good in Bride and she's decent in Seed. But she's fine in both. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, she carries those movies. Right. She's she is like the main force in Bride that makes it a good movie. But this one, she is horrible. I don't know what happened. She can't deliver a line at all. The script is really bad. <laughs> the the one liners they give her are just absolutely terrible. Yeah. She is very, very bad, and she is one of the worst parts of the movie, sadly. Because she could have came in and actually been cool. But the actual worst part of the movie is if you've seen the stinger of the end of the first one, you know that Andy's coming back for this one. Yeah, still played by Alex Vincent, which is, it should be dope, but <laughs> it's not. It's right. terrible. It basically opens it up as in, you know, Andy is, like, militarized because he was in the military. He's in, like, the boot camp in Child's Play 3, so he's all yeah, I'm, militarized. I'm glad they kept that. Yeah, which is cool. It's a nice throwback, and you think that, you know, he... He figures out what's going on and that there's multiple Chucky dolls. So you think, oh, he's going to come in and he's going to end this once and for all. And he's going to kick some ass. And he doesn't do anything. He No, you could remove his entire storyline <laughs> and the movie would be unchanged. He does nothing. You, He comes in. There's one scene in particular where he formulates a plan, executes it, and it immediately fails. It just, his yep. one, his whole plot in the movie is do this thing and it fails. And then he's just done. And he takes it lying down. Totally. Completely. It's why even bring him back if you're just going to ruin his character in the universe completely. Yeah, so I think the biggest problem with this movie, just to like kind of wind it down so that we don't just keep shitting on it, <laughs> is that I could you can tell that this is supposed to be a trilogy, but instead of making a second movie, they took the they took one movie and split it in half. This feels like half a movie. This definitely and feels like a stepping stone movie. Where yeah. it exists in between the first one and the third one, where this is right. only there to push the one plot device that like actually works—not works, but is compl- is fulfilled throughout the plot of this movie—and yeah. so it makes sense in the third one. And then I will admit that since I reviewed this movie, I, when I, after I watched it, I was just so done that I didn't. I was like, I don't like the ending. But the more I think about it, what they set up with the ending is really cool. It's like a really cool ending setup. But if they execute it the same way they executed this movie, I just just put this series to rest, dude. I <laughs> it's think, time. I think if they can give Jennifer Tilly more than, like, I don't know, a can of cat food and $5 to act in this movie, that mm-hmm. and she actually delivers, like, a performance as she did in Bride of Chucky, it could be really good. But yeah. if that doesn't work, if that if she's the main character in the next one, one of the main characters in the next one, and she's as bad as she was in this one, that movie is going to be horrible, in my opinion. Yeah, so now you know why last week we made such a hard, fine point on not just <laughs> buying this movie to support it and only buying it if you actually want to see it. Because, <laughs> honestly, like, I don't... It's going gonna, it's gonna to bug me if this trilogy that Don Mancini's started does not finish... But it's also going to bug me if it's as shitty as Cult uh, cult of Chucky. So, you know, we're in a real catch-22 here. But uh, I feel like a lot of people did go out and buy it based on, you know, being pushed to on Twitter by everyone. So, yeah, that's that's Cult of Chucky. So if you want to check it out, 
you can watch it on Netflix and people are going to tell you that the stinger at the end is worth paying for the unrated version. It's not. I'm sure you could guess it first try and the unrated stuff adds virtually nothing. I watched it just to see. So I've seen this movie twice and it is not worth paying for the unrated version. That That's my review. Yeah. If you're curious, watch it on Netflix. Uh, you, you definitely need to see this one to see the next one in the series if, if it does get made. So mm-hmm. you 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 have to bite the bullet on this one if you want to watch the the third part of the trilogy, but uh, it is on Netflix, so you can just pick it up there. Right. So, uh, yep, that is Cult of Chucky. So, do you want to introduce this next one? Okay. This next movie is called Haunters: Art of the Scare, produced by Jason Blum, and it is essentially a real life version of the houses October built. Kind of. It's they find these haunted houses in real life throughout o- over the country. And basically, they look at two in great depth, McKamey Manor and Nightmare on Loganberry. And they also talk to Shar uh, Mayer, who is a legendary scare actress. And she's been in the business for many, many years. So basically, they look at these two haunted houses, what it takes to build them, uh... Why the why people like to do it? What's the real spirit of Halloween? And a lot of it is is focused on McKamey Manor and how it's uh, such an extreme haunt and the effect that it has on not only the people who go through it but the neighbors and other surrounding areas and kind of the effect it has on haunts as a whole. So it is. I, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought they did a good job of actually taking like a deeper look at kind of the back end of haunted houses and seeing the construction and that kind of stuff, and the the actors and all that. Yeah, and I also really like that this movie isn't like a, it's not a hit piece, and it's also not a PR piece. Like it takes a very middle of the road stance. It's really just trying to build awareness rather than to you know make you think one way or the other. And I thought that's the best way to do this because there are ups and downs to both of the haunted houses, and they are you know like extreme haunts. And yeah. They make sure to show you both sides for both of the haunts. Yeah, if, I would say if they take any stance, it's almost a little more negative on extreme haunts than it is traditional haunts because it kind of it interviews people who went through the McKamey Manor and they aren't they kind of pick people that did not have a positive experience and when they talk to the other scare actors that are more traditional they have a, a negative outlook on extreme haunts but they do also take a look at uh, Blackout the haunt experience which is another kind of the first real extreme haunted house and I, they they did look at that pretty favorably. Yeah, and I think the problems. So it is it is kind of like I I see where they're coming from on the other side of the extreme haunt fence. Like there really aren't a lot of defenses for it because it will if when the if and when the government does crack down on these extreme haunts. Where if you don't know, these are places you can go. You can get like you sign a waiver so they can push you, they can shove you, they can hit you, but you can't touch them back. Which I think. It makes it scary, but it's also kind of like, it it makes it wishy-washy and a little weird. And the people who are in just normal haunts and they're just trying to have a good time and scare people who come through are scared that if and when the government cracks down on, you know, people getting beat up after they sign a waiver, uh, they're scared that they're not going to be able to do what they love to do anymore. And I think that, you know, I I feel like that's valid. Yeah, I think that definitely... 
I think if something, you know, actually really bad happens at an extreme haunt, especially if it happens at something like the McKamey Manor, where it's all out of this one guy's pocket and it's not a business, it's just something that he does in his spare time and it's not really regulated in any way, and it's just someone's, like, backyard, you know, hangout where they built this themselves and it's all kind of do-it-yourself and someone, and some, you know, horrible accident does happen there, I think there's no way the government won't crack down on haunted houses as a whole. Yeah, and then if you don't know, so McKamey Manor is the big one they focus on. It's uh, it's started by a guy named Russ McKamey. It's here in California, and basically he charges four cans of dog food, which is pretty cool, and then he donates it to, like, Greyhound Rescue. And this guy's, like, a wedding singer. He's, like, an entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> He's But he really likes haunting people and his wife's there to you know rein him in with the legality of it and everything which is good because the some of the stuff he does is completely crazy but he gets to a point with this thing where people are literally like i'm done i'm gonna actually kill someone in here i'm gonna have a heart attack and then he pushes them even further and this guy goes through every year and gets so much of it on video that at some point it's going to come back to bite him and he's going to be incriminating himself. Yeah, this the big thing about McKamey Manor is it's the one extreme haunt that doesn't have a safe word. There's no way for you to get out if you're feeling so uncomfortable that you need to leave that second. If you're in there and you are doing some of the extreme things that are in that house and you want to leave, it doesn't matter. Russ will make you go through the entire thing. Yeah, and they show him doing that, which I feel like was pretty bold of them to do in a mostly positive uh <laughs> documentary yeah it really kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about mckamey manor really at the end of the day yeah because you you see that the guy is doing good things but what he's actually doing in the haunted house is it's not good and then they use uh what's her name char mayor uh they use her to show you uh she she's been doing haunts her whole life uh and with these extreme hunts, she has permanent back damage from people punching her. She has, like, permanent muscle damage. She's constantly in pain. And she, like, feels like she can't keep up with these extreme haunts. But it's like, once you once you open that door, it's really hard to close it. Right. And I, I thought her parts were actually pretty kind of, like, almost heartwarming in a way. Like, it was kind of yeah. a look back at the more traditional, like, the old school. They do tell a little bit of the history of haunted houses as a whole and kind of how they became a part of you know popular culture and she's kind of been doing it since it really got huge and mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to see from her perspective who's been in the business for so long how things have changed and how they've grown over the years since basically the inception of the business yeah and you know what this movie the score is really good and the visual in it is amazing it is produced by jason blum which it's not a Blumhouse movie. I think he just did it out of his own pocket because he's friends with the director, John, John Schnitzer. But uh, it, this this is a really good documentary. It's very high quality. It's very professional. Uh, it, it There's a lot to learn here about extreme haunts. And something I really liked was that they highlighted my favorite haunt from last year, which is Delusion. And they talked about how that's a middle ground between the extreme haunt and a regular just you know run-of-the-mill classic style haunt in the way that it's a haunted play where you're a character and they actually showed footage from the actual play i got to go to which is where it's like a house full of vampires and you're one of the vampires and there was some really cool stuff like people getting dragged through walls people getting shot and they fly through a brick wall people falling off of like a banister but it's all real actors with real effects and you're just part of the show and i think that is a really good middle ground because i absolutely loved it 
That was something that really looked interesting to me. I hadn't really heard of Delusion from before that, and I thought that looked like that would actually be a lot of fun and like a really cool experience. Basically, you can experience the more extreme things where you're involved in what's going on, but it's not so extreme where they're like waterboarding you or (laughs) putting a tarantula on your face or something, you know? And that's not even a joke. Like, a girl gets pulled through a sofa from behind. Which is crazy in the in uh, one of the extreme haunts. Yeah, uh, some of the footage they showed the extreme haunts is pretty disturbing. Uh, I I don't really want to spoil anything if you're gonna watch the movie, but right, it uh, it does have some very extreme visuals that make you think how is this, how can people how are people allowed to do this really? Yeah, and then the other thing that I guess I didn't like is they highlight a couple other haunts in this. Like this guy built this giant skull out in the woods, and it's fucking dope. But they don't really explain what it is or why they're even there and they're they're filming it in winter which doesn't really make sense because it doesn't really snow in october uh, <laughs> in most places i don't think uh, so that was kind of weird i didn't like that too much and then uh you know there's another haunted house which we haven't talked about a lot in it nightmare mm-hmm. on loganberry and that's because that one it kind of feels like they included it in the beginning and then they kept forgetting about it because of all the controversy with McKamey Manor. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we got to go back to that one. Oh, yeah, we got to go back to that one. And so that one kind of takes a back seat, but it actually has a pretty heartwarming story. Yeah, I think that one, it's it's really just about a guy who was kind of like bullied all through his childhood by his brothers and other kids at school. And his one outlet, the thing that he loves the most is Halloween. And out of his own pocket, I mean, he spends you know huge amounts of money putting on this haunted house where he puts it together in the in the front yard of his mom's house because he lives in an apartment he doesn't have the space to put it up there and he goes to his mom's house and sets up this haunted house every year for kids in the neighborhood and everybody there loves it and just thinks he's so cool because he does this and it's really it is nice to see kind of a more low budget you know a guy who's really only joy in life is to put together this haunted house every year and you can tell it's really a passion project for him and he doesn't He'll, he doesn't care about the money, really. He just wants to put it together because he loves it so much. Yeah, and his wife uh, is in it, and they really do highlight you know, how this puts strain on people's relationships. Yeah. But I don't really, like, so I don't get if you're supposed to feel sympathy for her or not because it's kind of on her, if you ask me. Like, he's been doing it his whole life. It's how he bonds with his family and his brothers. It's one month out of 12 of the year. And she's texting him throughout this thing. Like, I'm sick of this Halloween bullshit. If you don't come home now, uh, like, don't come home at all. And it's like, I, I don't know. It's how long did you date before you got married? It's, there's certain aspects of people's lives. Like, marriage is a compromise. And I feel like if that's the one thing he loves more than anything in the world, and you see the direct benefits it has to his life, uh, like they they don't paint her in a bad light. She paints herself in a bad light. Yeah, if you if you are in a relationship with Donald Jolson, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, and uh, I felt it's really there's, I this isn't really a spoiler. It's just they they did it weird. They show him in sunglasses every time they <laughs> interview him during the day for ninety percent of the movie, and then at the towards the very end, there's like a throwaway comment about how he has a disease where his pupils are always dilated. So if he goes out in the sun without sunglasses or where doesn't wear sunglasses at all times during the day, he gets like major headaches. So if you're kind of like, you know, getting a predisposition thought in your head about who this guy might be, now you know that like he has to wear sunglasses most of the time during the day. And that's where they're building. That's when they're building these haunted houses in his yard. Right. 
Yeah, that was a little strange that they didn't really say that at the beginning because you do kind of look at him at first and you're like, oh man, this guy wears sunglasses all the time. But then it's like, oh, it's like a real legit medical condition and he needs to wear sunglasses all the time. Yeah, but overall, I've seen another documentary uh, like this and it was done very poorly. So this was this was really good. And you can rent it on iTunes and Amazon. You can also buy it and it's it, you'll find it if you look for it. And I think it's worth it. Yeah, I think it was... It was cool. It was a nice look at the haunted house, you know, business as a whole. And it really looks at all the different facets of what's going on in the business currently. And I thought it was interesting. It's a good watch. Yeah. So uh, that is going to wrap up Haunter's Art of the Scare. And with that, our second segment. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back for segment three. Okay, we are back from our little break there. I hope you like our theme song. And we are back with our third segment, which is why you should watch The Exorcist on Fox. And if you haven't heard of this show, I wouldn't blame you necessarily because not a lot of people watch it. It was really up in the air whether or not it would get a second season. But actually, by this time, two, maybe three episodes of season two would have aired. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's a pretty good show. Yeah, I think that the the first season was done extremely well. I think that they really do a good job of tying season one, at least, into the original Exorcist movie mm-hmm. and really showing exorcisms in the style of the Exorcist movie in a cool and interesting way. Yeah, I heard it is actually pretty faithful to the book. I do like Jeremy Slater. He's like the showrunner. He's a really down-to-earth guy, and you can tell he really loves this show and the Exorcist as a whole. I also really liked how the first season... Uh, it firmly roots itself in the Exorcist universe without spoiling anything, even though it is the first season. Not a lot of people have seen it. And I also liked how it took place in Chicago, and they actually shot it there. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see something happen in a major city that isn't like Los Angeles or San Francisco or anything like that. Yeah, Chicago is a great city that I feel like is underutilized in a lot of films, but we've seen it in The Exorcist and Ozark, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's uh, really making a comeback in TV this year, for sure. So the first season mainly stayed in Chicago. It kind of had a whole Pope subplot, which is pretty cool. Again, don't want to spoil anything, but the season two, uh, the two main characters, Father Thomas who and uh, Father Marcus, are still, they're teamed up. Uh, Father Marcus is training Father Thomas, or Tomas, on how to be an exorcist. And uh, instead of taking place in Chicago, this one takes place on an island foster home in Seattle. Yeah. That's a cool setup. Yeah, I think that the setting for this season is really interesting. It's kind of backwoods and sort of creepy because of the isolation of being on an island. And they do touch on that pretty quickly, that there are issues to living on an island where there's no police or ambulances or hospitals or anything and they make it apparent very quickly that that's going to become an issue later on in the show yeah and a lot of the kids are troubled too which there's a lot of kids living with uh john cho's character andy kim and they also introduce a subplot where someone that he obviously had a relationship is also working for child protective services and coming to judge whether or not he's a fit carer for these kids so i think that's a cool subplot they don't really introduce who in the house is going to get uh, possessed because every one of the kids has some sort of problem and there's an exorcism in the first episode that is entirely separate from this 
that uh, Marcus and Tomas are working on at the time where they're introducing all the characters on the island. So there's a lot of cool dual storylines going on. Yeah, I think that once our two main exorcist heroes, uh, Marcus and Tomas, make it to uh, you know Andy's place to see what's going on there, once they actually start having some real issues, I think that's going to create some really interesting dynamics between everyone. So I guess since we need to make a case for this show for people to watch it, uh, there is a lot of good horror TV out right now, but this show is very carefully made. I don't want to put it on the same level as Hannibal because while I like it, it's not as good as Hannibal, but the same level of care goes into each episode and forming the plot that goes into Hannibal, I would say, and I think it pays off for the most part. I don't really know why the show doesn't catch on. Yeah, it seems kind of weird that in this in this time where not only horror movies and books and comic books are becoming huge and, t- and TV, that this show, based on a beloved movie, it isn't getting the same kind of attention as all these other things. Yeah, I don't really understand it, but the effects are pretty good. Um, uh, ben Daniel's character, Father Marcus, he's kind of like the rogue exorcist. You know, like he's he's uh, not ordained by the church anymore. He's kind of on his own, he, and Father Tomas is still ordained. But uh, Father Marcus is not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to throw some punches or use some more extreme techniques. And I think that works really well. Like their balance is really good. Not to say that Father Tomas is perfect, but he's kind of the golden boy. Yeah. Not to, I don't really want to, you know, bring up Father Callahan in every episode. But uh, (laughs) Father Marcus is very, reminds me of that character very much so from Salem's Lot, where he's a guy who's so driven by his faith. And you can tell he really is just there to fight evil that's his main motivation and he's you know that's what he's been doing and he doesn't care that he's not ordained by the church anymore he knows that he has a duty to do and he has the power to do it and he's gonna you know complete his task no matter what yeah and then another thing is even though they pull in the same plot from the exorcist the movie and the book i guess they don't let you know at every corner that this is the exorcist. Like you're not going to see all these crazy nods all the time. And when they do bring stuff in, it's done very respectfully and done well. And they only use that like classic theme song from the movie. They use it very, very sparingly. And when they use it, there's a reason for it. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate the original movie into this season because it was done in such a way in the first season where it made complete sense and I don't know how those two storylines are going to kind of connect in this one, if they want to connect them at all. Yeah, so I've seen the first episode, and you've only seen the first one too, right? I've seen, I watched the first two episodes. Oh, so I haven't seen the second one. Does it is it, is it much better? Because, you know, the first one doesn't really reveal a whole lot. Yeah, first one kind of just jumps right into the action, and then just kind of percolates the whole episode. Just kind of, you know, introducing you to all the different characters. Second one does pick up a bit. And you're starting to see things that are, like, pointing you towards maybe one kid is going to be the the one who gets possessed over the other. And kind of, you see this, this weird kind of struggle between Father Tomas and Father Marcus really starts to bloom where uh, Tomas is kind of using this new ability that he gained. And Marcus kind of says that we should do the exorcisms the old-fashioned way and Tomas wants to use this new ability to try to make it more efficient or use his his power that he says God gave him in the best way possible yeah that's pretty cool 
I, I'm going to watch the second episode tonight because I didn't even know it was out until I watched the first one today. But something <laughs> I liked in the first episode that I just remembered, they do an exorcism in the back of a pickup truck that's going like 60 miles an hour <laughs> down a dirt road in Montana. Yeah. And that's pretty dope. Yeah. I think that the visuals are great in that in this whole season so far where you see them just like ripping through the dirt and you just, you know, there's hay and there's everything flying all over the place. You go into a barn, you get to see a church, you get to see, you know, isolated island. You get to see all these really cool environments that they're, I'm sure is going to have some really interesting things to play around with. Yeah. So while you probably do have a lot to watch right now, I think both of us can easily vouch for The Exorcist on Fox. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth a watch, and I think you'll probably be hooked if you make it through the first season. Yeah, the first season, so don't let the first episode turn you off. I'm actually remembering now. Don't let the first episode turn you off. The first episode is very boring and formulaic, and that's probably a lot of the reason people dropped off from this show in the first place. But after that, it turns it up to 11, and it stays there for pretty much the rest of the show, which is awesome. Yeah, the last like three episodes of the first season are all like tension and conflict and it's a major payoffs for everything that's been happening leading up to it and is it is really one of the best conclusions to the first season of a tv show i've seen in a while yeah so uh that's gonna that's gonna wrap up our third segment here on why you should watch the exorcist on fox so last week we kind of shat on both movies even though we (laughs) did like ruin me we had a lot of negatives to say as we did positives but this time we made sure that we had some positive things to say about The Exorcist, some positive things to say about Haunters, The Art of the Scare, and then some not-so-positive things to say about Cult of Chucky, because, you know, we, we do want you to know that we like horror movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't want to come on here every week and just say every horror movie that comes out is bad, because we do like them, and we're holding them to a higher standard. We want, we're not just going to say that every horror movie is good because it's a horror movie and want the genre to grow. We want good horror to continue to grow, not things like Cult of Chucky. Yeah, and it does look like we're in the minority on Cult of Chucky somehow, but I'm glad to see that the people who do have problems with it generally have the same problems we do. So if you if you feel compelled to check it out, go check it out. We're not telling you not to watch it. We just wouldn't recommend it from how we feel about it. And if you do check it out and you have issues with what we said, tweet at our, at our Twitter, uh, at Fear Frequency, and let us know. We'll respond. We'll try to get a debate going and try to see both sides of the argument, obviously. We're not yeah, the end-all, totally. be-all. Yeah, it, yeah, we're not, we're by no means, well, we are experts, but we're <laughs> by no means dogma on it. Right, Our exactly. words aren't, you know, the, the law here. <laughs> so yeah, you, again, like George just said, you can tweet at us or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Fear Frequency. And if you ask any questions on either or any of those pages, one of us will respond for sure. And again, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Leave us any star rating you want, but obviously the five-star rating is good, and just rate the show. You can rate it without leaving a review, but if you do feel compelled to leave a review, that'd be great as well, because that really does help out with new podcasts. Yeah, and we love reading uh, them, too. Yeah, and we we are confirmed that we are on Stitcher now, so if you were looking for the show in the past week and couldn't find it on there, we are for sure on there. And I want to say also that the show will be on my YouTube soon. My YouTube channel is Jimmy Champagne, or I'm just trying to figure out the best way to upload it so it's not just, you know, just an audio podcast uploaded stupidly. So uh, I feel like that's all the housekeeping. Do you have anything else, George? Uh, I think you covered it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll call it there. That is the second episode of 
fear frequency. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope we'll see you next Tuesday, as this is a Tuesday show. But, uh, George, you, you want to send us out on our, our really good uh, catchphrase here? So we hope to see you next week, and you never know who may be listening.